Welcome to the Good Athlete Podcast, the voice of the Good Athlete Project. Hello and welcome. My name is Alex Nadolna and you're listening to the Good Athlete Podcast, the premier podcast for coaches. For today's episode, I sat down with the founding director of the Good Athlete Project, Jim Davis. Jim enjoyed a long and successful athletic career prior to his work with the Good Athlete Project. He played 16 seasons of football, including one year in professional indoor football and three seasons overseas in Ireland and Spain. Throughout his career, Jim has racked up a number of awards, including being named an NSCA All-American in Knox College and winning three consecutive national championships while playing overseas. After his playing career, Jim worked at New Trier Township High School, where he was the strength and conditioning coordinator and assistant varsity football coach, while simultaneously picking up his master's degree from Northwestern University. He then went on to Harvard University, where he picked up a second master's degree in human development and psychology. I've known Jim for many years because he was my coach when I was in high school. Jim was an incredibly influential coach back then and continues to be to this day. Those who have had the pleasure of working with Jim outside of athletics share a similar sentiment. Rick Weisbord, director of the Human Development and Psychology program at Harvard, had this to say about Jim. Quote, because of Jim's own athletic experience, his sensitivity to the needs of young people, his wide-ranging intelligence and creativity, and his fine ethical sensibilities and commitments, he's the right person for this job. So without further ado, it is my pleasure to introduce to you my interview with one of the most influential coaches in the field today, Jim Davis. I'm here with Jim Davis, founding director of the Good Athlete Project. How are you today, Jim? Doing very well, thank you. Thank you so much for joining me and talking with me. I am I, happy to be here on the back porch of your apartment in the beautiful city of Chicago on an incredible day that it, it turned out to be. It's an underratedly lovely view, wouldn't you say? No. I think we can, okay, well, I think you know what? That's all right. I think it's accurately rated. Uh, <laughs> Agree to disagree. There's uh, some nice trees, a lot of alleyway view, but it's still a nice, it's a beautiful day in Chicago. Um, yes, it is. While this, the, the subject of the podcast is not going to be the views that we were looking at, instead, I want to talk to you about uh, the Good Athlete Project and about yourself. Uh, okay. So let's start there. Let's start with your athletic background. Uh, so my athletic background, I was born in the city of Chicago. Um, while my family and I were down here, there weren't a lot of opportunities for full pad tackle football. Uh, so I kind of dabbled in everything. Uh, ultimately, we moved to the suburbs of Chicago, where I did finally play full pad football. I played, you know, I did like little league, I did basketball, I wrestled for a year, I did an assortment of other things, but football was always like my primary love. What what age was that? That about? we came from the city uh, when I was ten years old. Ten years old. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so right after that, I don't know what that is. Fourth grade, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, started playing football. Went on to play in high school. Uh, play was lucky to play at a great place. Nutria High School is 4,100 people, something like that, and our football team was ranked both years um, I was on it and won a conference championship, had a blast, got to start a few years on varsity and, and um, played well enough to move on to the college level, got a handful of opportunities, uh, and ultimately decided to play at Knox College, which you know very well. I do. Um, one of the best liberal arts schools in the nation, and I fully believe that. Um, and I was lucky to step into a position where I was able to start right away, which is exactly what I wanted out of my college career. I didn't want to 
just hang out. You know, I knew how devoted I was. I knew how passionate and into football I was, and I knew that if I was going to be that devoted, I wanted to actually see the field. So um, I was really lucky to step into a situation like that with great coaching down there and all sorts of fun opportunities. Anyway, played four years at Knox College. That came with a handful of, of accolades, um, and ultimately that experience was positive positive enough and I had worked hard enough in the weight room and at practice to get an opportunity to go to some tryouts and those tryouts were not with NFL teams I was never um, in that conversation I don't think but um, indoor arena type teams you know trying to get, get a paycheck and get a cool experience post-college playing football ended up doing that in Bloomington Illinois uh, for the Bloomington Extreme in Chicago and with the Chicago Slaughter. When you were counting both your high school and your college experience you mm -hmm. uh, talked about influential coaches you had could you go a little bit more into that maybe mm -hmm. some specifics some people that really stuck out to you had good totally. impacts uh i mean first of all i think this is just i don't think you can talk about either experience without mentioning your head coach i think that's just how it goes um and it's funny being in coaching now myself you are as well and talking to a bunch of coaches like there's no such thing as someone who is universally liked right um but I do think if your experience was positive, that does in some way reflect on the head coach. Dan Mortier was my head coach in high school. He is in, uh, in the Illinois High School Hall of Fame, uh, was very good to me and continues to be. Um, Tom Hessling is actually a guy that I'm lucky enough to work with now. He was my offensive line coach and defensive line coach in high school. Um, he's the kind of guy that you'd literally run through a wall for. Um, <laughs> Yeah, but I and I and just he's the man. Um, I mean it, Tom Hessling. If you ever, I'm not sure he's a tech guy. I'm not sure he likes podcasts. But if he ever listens to this, I hope he knows how much I appreciate. We we probably will have coach. to show it to him. We'll show it to him. <laughs> <laughs> um, the guy that really sticks out to me through my high school experience is a guy named Bob Levin. He Bob Levin. I'll give you a quick story about Bob Levin. Um, Bob Levin played fullback at Yale, was like a big, bruising fullback in the Ivy League, um, had some NFL opportunities that I think he ultimately turned down, um, but played at Yale, got his first graduate degree at Harvard, went on to University of Chicago, and you know, with his resume, could have done just about anything. Oh, by the way, he dated Meryl Streep, not that you put that on a resume, but, <laughs> but very interesting. Um, and decided you know had had that like stellar resume decided to go into education coach running backs coach football and work um in special ed with um people mostly with people who had um behavioral issues and things like that just like one of the one of the best guys i ever met i was actually lucky enough to stand up and speak at his um retirement banquet from from football and um the term i use or the idea that i that i tried to highlight and i still mean it is like he is probably one of the last people you want to see in a dark alley uh, and one of the first people you go to if you had a problem or want to talk through something. He's just, he's the man. He epitomizes um, the, this kind coaches thing that we've been working on, which is people who are both tough and competitive, but also caring and kind. Um, so yeah, Bob Levin's the man. Um, in college, some of the guys that stand out, um, Andy Gibbons. Was yes. my was both of our coaches actually? We yeah, played. You and I played at uh, Knox College in different, slightly different eras, but we both had Andy Gibbons, and I mean, he was one of those people too. Yeah. There was never a doubt in my mind over the course of four years at Knox that Andy Gibbons cared about me as a human being, and there's still not. And I've been out of there for a while, and there's still not a doubt in my mind. Um, 
and I, like I said, I was just lucky from a lot of angles to have a lot of really great supportive people. Uh, John Wozniak is a guy that recruited me to Knox. Um, he was our offensive coordinator, ended up leaving, I think, after my sophomore season to go. He took, a, I think, a GA position at LSU and then bounced around kind of everywhere. He's now coaching running backs at Oklahoma State. I uh, just got that job recently. Um, but Waz was great as well. Anyway, um, does that fulfill that? Absolutely. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. no, that, that was great. No, um, I, think you're, I think you're right, though. It's like the experience is punctuated and highlighted by and enhanced by, you know, the, the coaches who are, who are running those shows. So. Absolutely. And some of those names that you just rattled off are people that I have also had experience with and very positive experiences great with as well. Just fantastic. Sure. And we lucked out in that way. And honestly, a Seriously. brief segue <laughs> Like that's one of the missions of the Good Athlete Project. I, I do feel really lucky that I was um, exposed to a lot of really good coaching. Um, and, and, and I guess the idea is that that should not be, um, I mean, that, that should be rather, that should be the norm. Right. That should not be the exception. That someone was lucky to have good coaching through their career, it yeah. should be the, an absolute, considering how powerful this space can be as a learning platform. Totally. So. So pick back up after yeah. college, you briefly mentioned the other opportunities you had playing. What were those again? So I played uh, for the Bloomington Extreme for a short time, uh, and that was in Bloomington, Illinois, in Chicago Slaughter. Was that something that you knew when you got, when you finished like your, your last game in college, was that something you were like, I want to go play arena, or you just said, I want to keep playing? You know, I, I don't think I've ever said this out loud, I swear. I've, you've never heard this story, no one's ever heard it. There was a time um, my junior year of college, um, I was actually home over winter break and my friends were going out. I was like, guys, I can't go out. I got to go lift and I'll meet you out later. And so I'm in the gym solo, whatever, late afternoon, whatever it might've been. Um, and I essentially was making deals with myself and I did this periodically throughout my career. Um, how to make a deal with myself. I was like, I got 500 pounds in the bar. If I can get a set of three of that, I'm going to play professional football someday. And I said, I just put this stuff in my head and then I turned up the music and I got under the freaking bar and like alone in a gym, I don't recommend this. We'd, we'd try to knock out big weight for reps and, and man, that's cool to reflect on. I just haven't thought about that in a while. Um, I did the same thing. I remember one day specifically at Knox, I was a senior and I was, um, it was, it must have been spring term, senior year at Knox, and I was outside in the dark on the track um, alone, running sprints. You know, uh, I, I think I was the only one in my grade that went on to try to play after college. Mm -hmm. um, and I was just solo on the track in pain. And I was just kind of, but I, it, the self-talk was really important to me. I was like, just put, you're gonna be fine. Just do it, and then opportunities are gonna come. Um, so is it something I knew I wanted to do? I don't know that, like I didn't, I didn't grow up thinking, I've always been a what's the next step guy, not a what's the final product guy. I, always, like I've always been, and I'm not saying I did anything to be like this, I'm just saying this is the way it is, right? Mm -hmm. um, I never said I'm gonna be, I, from a little kid, I was never like, I'm gonna be in the NFL. I never thought that. I, maybe it's because I wasn't good enough, you know what I mean? I wasn't being patted on the back hard enough from the time I was a little kid. Yeah. But like, I never said NFL is the goal or pro football is the goal or anything like that. It was just like, it's like, uh, I, it's just what's next? What's the next step? And not to, you know, I'm gonna just let me roll here if I'm going, I'm you sorry. You got it, yeah, no. <laughs> it, it reminds me, I actually just competed in my first triathlon this past weekend. 
And I'm telling you, it's the same freaking thing because I am not a triathlete. I'm not in exceptional shape. Can confirm. <laughs> Fair. <laughs> and, and, but like, I got on the bike, I got to the bike portion, and I was pedaling up hills and co- trying to coast down them. I have no clue. <laughs> I was like, <laughs> I was like leaning into it like I feel like I've seen it on TV, but I didn't know what I was doing. But what, I, what would happen is I would see someone ahead of me, and then it's like, I'm like, I, had, I never was like, I want to win this. I was like, I'm going to go catch that person. Yeah. It's that straightforward. And then I would pass them, and I'd be like, okay, now I'm going to go catch that person. Uh-huh. And then I would pass them, and I'd be like, now I'm going to go catch that person. I swear. That was was like, and then I got to the, the, uh, the run, and it was so painful. But ultimately, I got to a point where there weren't a lot of people ahead of me. And I, at one point, I was like, it was out in the country. It was beautiful. It was in the north woods uh, of Wisconsin. And, and I, uh, there was one point where I was like, I wonder if I'm on the right track still or if, I got, or if I'm getting <laughs> lost in the woods. And then I saw another person had to pass them. But um, long story short, in, in the triathlon, I won my division. I didn't win. I got seventh overall. Uh, but won my division. Um, and it was just based on that idea. So I didn't set out to play pro football, but the closer that became attainable, you know, it was just like, I want to start, I want to compete. I want to be better than the people against me. I want to be an all conference type player. I want to, you know, it was just like, what's the next level up. Right. And I'm going to work to that next level. And then once I get there, I'm going to take a look from that next level and then get to the next one. Okay. So you played how long in arena football? Just for a year, I played. Um, I was in Bloomington for about a month, and then um, went up to Chicago. And tell us more about that experience. It was really cool. <laughs> I mean, it was fun. So, Knox is a Division three program. I think a lot of people have a misunderstanding about what Division three is. It is NCAA athletics, but it's non scholarship. There are Division three guys playing in the pros. Some guys that are definitely household names, like uh, like London Fletcher, you know, people like that. These are Division three guys. Um, so there's a high caliber of athlete. Um, I would. It's certainly not cons- as consistent or as high as the guys that are getting big time money. And there's right. no confusing that. But it is legitimate college athletics. Absolutely. Um, knowing that, and knowing that some of the guys that I was playing against were going on to seek professional careers, and I thought that I could beat them. Mm-hmm. Um, I, it was just an itch I had to scratch. Yeah. I was really lucky. A lot of it was opportunity. More of it was high school coaching my high school coaches really coached me up and yeah. to the point where I got to college and you know they needed a guy on the line I was coached up well in high school and was able to step in I started 40 games of my you know every game in my collegiate career mm-hmm. came out the back end just wanted to scratch this itch of could I have you know maybe held my own at a higher level because some of the things you know coming out of my junior year I was 6'2 240 so I wasn't massive but I wasn't small uh, and I was a lifter, and my numbers were okay. And I went to some camps and did okay at those camps, and was getting letters from University of Illinois. That would have been a walk-on position had I gone. Um, I did not go, obviously, but part of me always wonders: like, is that something I could have handled? I again, I'm not delusional enough to think that like I would have been a star on the, at U of I. You know, that's big time football. But I wanted to know if I could hang. You know, just just to kind of scratch that itch. Anyway, um, that was. You know, I wanted to compete. I loved playing football. I always, it's like, give me the next game, give me the next game, give me the next game. Um, and wanted to chase that down, just my competitive side. But I also wanted to answer that question. And 
I mean, I wasn't an Arena League All-Star, but I was on the roster. Um, I was, you know, I, I got a paycheck to play football, which, which was... Must have been a pretty cool feeling. It was a cool, the first time I actually, like, got it. Signing a contract was a big moment. Yeah. Getting the first paycheck was like, okay, now it's official. Um, I'm not in the NFL, but I'm a professional football player. So, I, I don't know. You know, it, it was a good feeling. I think the moments, though, like, you can say that, and it's an on-paper thing. The moments that stand out to me are, like, you know, the games that I was able to start, for example. Um, I had to start over a guy that was all Big East at West Virginia. And he's a great guy and a great football player. But, you know, that, that was meaningful to me, you know. Uh, another moment that really stands out is... Uh, we got a guy come into our training camp with Chicago Slaughter that was fresh off the off-season roster from the Minnesota Vikings. And, dude, I don't have – you know, flow is a popular word now. And, you mm-hmm. know, I don't know if it was in a flow state or if I just had something good for lunch that day or what it was, but I had one of my best days of practice, maybe ever, and it just so happened to be on the day that this guy came down from the Vikings roster. And we went up against each other in one-on-ones three times, and I won three for three. And I was like, okay, like, I'm not a terrible football player. Again, and I'm not, you know, right. uh, by certain standards, I, that's good. That's right, pretty yeah. darn good. Uh, also not, you know, I wasn't like, okay, now I'm going to go play for the Vikings. But um, it did answer some questions. So that was, that was a big part of it. You know, I, I put in so many hours. I've said this many times. You've heard me say it. I don't ever feel like I've been the best athlete on any field I've stepped in on in any level, at any level. But I think it's possible that there are some fields that I've stepped on where I was the hardest working person, or at least, or, or up there, tied for it, certainly. So that was a good feeling. So after a year in Arena League football, you went over to Europe to play. Uh, what teams did you play for when you were there? I played, um, I played two seasons for the UL Vikings in Limerick, Ireland, um, and a season for the Valencia Firebats in Spain. And talk to us about that experience. I know you and I have had conversations before, and, and you've spoken very highly of that. Uh, yeah. Specifically, some of the differences that you saw between the experience you had there and the experience in Arena League. And- yeah. I, okay, life-changing, for sure. When I first went to... Ireland, I had essentially I'd done the the indoor thing, and had a good time, answered some questions, and it but it but the but didn't have a great taste in my mouth to be totally honest. No disrespect, I made some friends in that league and it was great, but it's like people were playing for paychecks. You start to realize what that's like. We we weren't playing for NFL paychecks, but every time I started a game, that means someone else was not getting money. You know what I mean? Or every time I made the Ross, the travel roster, and, and someone else didn't, that means they weren't. So it's it's a little bit of a battle in that way. It's no, it's no longer like let me be my best so that my team, you know, because I'm a component of this team, so that we can be at our best. It's like I gotta be at my best because I gotta get the paycheck. Yeah. And we had guys. I mean, we had, we had, we had, 34, 35 year old quarterbacks who who were still trying to make the league, um, and so it was just different in that way. It wasn't bad. It was just different. I got back to when I went to Ireland. It was like pure again, you know. It was, uh, it was like these guys just like to play football. Yeah. You know, it's not their national pastime. They just found it usually as a, um, you know, usually through rugby or something like that, and and uh, or playing Madden, and <laughs> and it was just a great group of guys who just liked playing ball, and that was that was the thing for me. I got on a plane one day. I talked to Mark Thompson, uh, a friend of mine still. 
um, I talked to him on the phone once and on the email on email I hand on the email I sound like my parents <laughs> talked to him on the email uh, t- talked to him via email a handful of times talked to him on the phone once and then just kind of trusted him and said okay fine I'm getting on the I'll get on a plane <laughs> I hope there's someone to meet me on the back end um, and went off to that experience had an absolute blast we were really lucky to win a shamrock bowl the Super Bowl of the Irish American Football League mm-hmm. that year. Um, actually, super lucky to then move on to Spain, where we won another national championship in La Liga Nacional de Football Americano, and then went back to Limerick and won another Shamrock Bowl in Ireland. So just a blast. Some really good friends came out of that. And who who are some of the people you met over there? Maybe coaches, teammates that helped make that such a positive experience. Um, I almost, it's, too, it's a long list, and I don't want to leave anyone out, but I will highlight a couple names. Um, like I said, Mark Thompson brought me over. I wouldn't have gone over if it weren't for him, and those are three of the most meaningful seasons of my life. Um, so I owe a lot to that guy. Liam Ryan, Pinky, Kieran Cohn, Seamus Hogan. Seamus Hogan's a uh, good friend of mine still. He's from Boston, met, but I met him in Ireland. Uh, and I, for, for two weeks, thought he was Irish just because he had a thick Boston accent, and I couldn't tell the <laughs> difference yet. Um, all those guys. J.P. Nurbin is actually on the ambassador board for the Good Athlete Project. He's doing his thing now. J.P. was a basketball player at South Carolina, was on the team when they won an NIT championship, and then went over to Ireland and, and uh, was part of both of those Shamrock Bowl championships as well. Um, he was another American, so mm-hmm. myself, Seamus, and JP were the three Americans, and then, but just like, again, I don't, I almost don't want to go down the list, because I'm worried I'll leave people out, Understandable. Like, Glenn Carr is a recurring figure in my life, yeah. uh, Mark Ashworth, those guys, I, the, the whole crew was amazing, I just freaking love those guys, I was, I was just back in Ireland not too long ago, we've got some good athlete project stuff going on in the Limerick area and at UL, uh, so just to like, hang out with those guys plum oh man i hope plum listens to this he's one of my favorite people and plum if you're listening to this i hope you post the i hope you post your interception against the rebels in the first shamrock bowl uh on facebook again soon he posts it like every couple weeks it's awesome though (laughs) plum gets an interception and then uh everyone is so excited that they just go and lay out people on the uh, opposition there's like eight rebels on the ground and plum running into the end zone it's freaking awesome that's great um and then actually it was kieran cone coney who was both my roommate uh when i first got over there um and one of the guys who helped bring me to spain um so in spain there were not, you, you can only have a certain amount of quote imports so in spain the imports were me a guy named dustin delouis and terrell engelman Dustin played at Montana, Terrell played at Idaho State, and then Montana, that's where the two of them met. Um, And that was a blast too. There was a bunch of other guys. Stuart Franklin, I think, is a well-known name in uh, the British American Football League and might still be playing. He was our quarterback. And again, over there, it it was amazing. It was just so much fun. A host of really good people. Goody. Anyway, you're, you're I, right. I you're right. Going. The list, the the list, list goes can on go and on. on and on. So, so while you were playing in overseas, yep. in your off seasons, you were also coaching at Nutrier. Mm-hmm. Tell us about that experience doing both at the same time, and particularly what brought you from 
doing both at the same time to switching over full-time to coaching? So, yeah, I was, I would, man, that was a lot of football crammed into a small amount of time. I would coach at Nutria when I was back. Mm -hmm. I would coach summer school football, all three levels, freshman, sophomore, and varsity. Uh, Then coach the varsity football season. I was on the varsity football staff my first year out of college. Very lucky for that opportunity. Um, And then I would literally, I would start the off season, do go about a month or two into the off season as a strength coach, as a volunteer strength coach. And then I would get on a plane and go play my next season, wherever that might be. Uh, And I did that for a handful of years. So I really, I was either playing or coaching all year round. Really cool experience. Yeah, it sounds like it. Um, Met a lot of good people. You are one of them. Um, Can confirm. And then um, I ultimately stopped after the, you know, like I said, we won three championships in a row. And coming off that third year, I, you know, I was humbled by the attention that was coming. There were offers to play in Sweden, in Germany, in Austria, um, you know, kind of Italy. Just pick your place in Europe at that point. Um, And I essentially was talked out of it. Uh, by a guy that you and I know, a mentor to both of us, Randy Obremt, who was the athletic director at Nutria at the time, who essentially said, uh, you know, we see what you're doing here. The kids, the kids are buying in. The kids are into it. Um, we think you're good at it. There might be a position here for you if, we, if you stop, <laughs> if you stop going away. Yeah. And what came of that was essentially the first position of its kind in the area. It was, um, I became the a strength and conditioning coach. The, the official term once we got it passed by the school board was strength and conditioning coordinator. Um, and through that, you know, we started that first year with eight, about 80 people coming through the program. It was me and a desk that I pulled in from the hallway in this little weight room that we just set up uh, and 80 kids and that was it. But people kept buying in and it kept growing uh, to the point where it is now. And right now what it is is myself in a slightly different role. I'm now the staff and student wellness coordinator at the school. Um, with a with eight part-time people. Um, Before we go too far into that, yeah. uh, because I think that's an interesting thing to talk about, your new expanded and, role. And 1,200 kids. The 1,200 kids, yes. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, well, that's actually what that's I wanted of, to talk about, was okay. the build. Uh, mm-hmm. what, the, the success of going from 80 to yeah. 1,200 in a relatively short amount of time. Yeah. Uh, what went into that? What was behind that? So... I would love to say that I've got like the secret sauce, I've got like a strategy, but the truth is I was in my early 20s and I was really freaking passionate about it. Mm-hmm. And that's and, and I didn't have a and I didn't know. <laughs> you know what I mean? I right. didn't know. I the key to our program growing in the way it did, I think is very simple. I think it's genuine passion combined with like luck and opportunity mm-hmm. and good mentors. I think that's it. Now, that's the reason it grew so big so fast, but I think there are things that translate to any program. So, what, okay, we had 80 people. We had the first group of people because the football team was bought in and a handful of wrestlers were like, this stuff's important. But why did the next 80 people come in and then the 80 people after that? It's because there's two reasons. One is that if you committed to our program, and this is still something we say today, there's, there's never been a person who has fully committed fully committed and not seen massive improvements on the back end. It hasn't happened. You know what I mean? Which is not to say it can't happen, but it just hasn't, right? Now, if, the, if a person is, you know, one or two days a week out of the four that are scheduled, I can't make any promises. But no one's bought into our strength program um, 
and not gotten way better. That's number one. You got to produce. You got to get results. Number two is relationships, and that might that might even jump number one if we really had to think hard about it because like performance matters to everyone, but feeling good about yourself, feeling a level of competency, feeling like you are growing as a human being, especially when you're working with adolescents, that matters more. And those things go hand in hand, side by side. In, in best case scenario, they happen simultaneously. Um, but yeah, we're lucky, we, we just built relationships. People, we have, this is notable, um, it's an, the program we run now, the strength and conditioning program, is completely opt-in. Nobody has to be there, we're not taking attendance. You don't get kicked off the team if you don't show. Um, but if you don't show, people are jumping you. Mm -hmm. you know, and and pe people from the relationships and the results just keep coming back. So like we said, that program grew from, from 80 to 1,200 in a relatively short amount of time. And we are set up, we just had a meeting with a coach the other day, we're set up to have our biggest year yet. We are now helping sports like Ultimate Frisbee is in, girls bowling is in. It's not just the traditional lifters, right? Um, we spent two hours yesterday with the girls swim coach. Our fresh, we have four unique girls swim teams from freshmen on who are gonna be lifting uh, at our at our place. Um, so it's just been, it's been really cool. And I this is something that I can speak to as well and perhaps something that I think people can hear when they hear you talking about it, but I experienced firsthand is uh, your passion. And I think that's so big and so important. And you talk about building relationships. You know, I, I played for you mm -hmm. and uh, definitely one of the most influential coaches, if not the most influential coach in my life. And Thank you. the Part of that was when you... That's nice of you to say. I appreciate Well, you're welcome. <laughs> I don't know why I would appreciate that because it was a nice thing to say. Regardless, back to what I was saying. Um, when you're playing for someone that is so clearly enjoying what they're doing and having fun, it's infectious. I mean, it's, mm -hmm. it's like, I don't, I don't want to say impossible because I don't want to speak that black and white, but it's nearly impossible. If you also like the sport or you also... I, I like lifting a lot to be around someone that is coaching you and is also like having as much fun as you are is huge and it's life changing. And yeah, it, it was just, for me in particular, I use the term life changing uh, because our relationship kind of started, um, not kind of, it definitely started uh, when you were talking about you were playing overseas mm -hmm. and you were coming back and you were helping us out in the off season. I was a sophomore at the time. And was that the first time we met? Probably not. I mean, we probably met like once or twice before that. Yeah. But but I remember that day specifically. Yeah, me too. It's, yeah. <laughs> I remember it very well. And um, you were this just big dude. You were, I, it, to me, as a sophomore, you were the biggest person I'd ever seen in my life. Uh, I feel I, I like. I was a little bigger back then. <laughs> I, was, I, I think at my heaviest, I was uh, 274 was my, my heaviest on the scale. Six two two seven. And per perhaps my memory has inflated you a little bit as well. Uh, who knows? Um, but that's, I don't know. I, that's heavy to me now, too. Yeah. But yeah, sorry. So the the way that we met was I was going to lifting as a sophomore in with the football team. Growing up, I, I fit that traditional mold of I, there's really no nice way to say it, but I am talking about myself, so I'm okay with being a little rude. Um, I was like the stereotypical fat kid. I was always overweight and. My parents, bless them, they tried everything they could to help me. Yeah. And just nothing. You know, I, I, I saw people, I tried this, I tried that, and nothing worked. I, I stayed heavy my whole life. 
and then I was going into my sophomore year and we were lifting in the off season. I wasn't very strong. Uh, I would show up to lift and it was all kind of half-assed. And one day you came up to me and essentially, I don't remember the exact words you used and there has been uh, contention Some about debate the, on, about this, debate yeah. On, yeah. The, on the actual terminology, but essentially what you said to me was, you know, do you want to be better? Do you want to get better? And I said, yes. And you said, meet me here tomorrow in the weight room. I said, okay. Went home that night, had this like internal debate with myself. And I decided that night that I wasn't going to show up the next day because I knew for a fact that you wouldn't be there. Mm -hmm. uh, why I knew that, I don't know. But the next day at school, I go in the morning and I'm kind of like thinking, I'm going through, through the motions of my normal day. And I convinced myself I'll show up. I'll show up because he won't be there. And I know that. And then <laughs> that way, like that gives me an out, right? That's like my mental out. And I show up and you were there. Uh, <laughs> and I remember you put me through a workout. And at the time, it was the hardest workout I think I had ever done in my life. And looking back <laughs> on it, it was probably fairly routine, but I was also out of shape, admittedly, hand up. Um, yeah, I don't, I, I love this story, but I don't remember hammering you that bad. I, I don't think <laughs> yeah. you did. Yeah. Uh, but I remember from that day forward, you were there every day or just about every day to work out like with me. So you would take time. If you weren't working out with me, you were like watching me the whole time and you were lifting yourself to get back into, to, to get into better shape for your football season. And, and you had so many other people to attend to, but you still, you know, had this ability and you still do to be able to make the person that you're talking to feel like they are being attended to even if you're in a bunch of other places at once and I think it's what makes you such a successful coach uh, part of the reason but going back to it the other reason was just your passion you know I, I had this person who I think in in my brain there was part of me that said you know why should this person care right why should this person take an interest in me I'm just another player I wasn't particularly good or anything like that I was overweight it's like why does this guy care so much but you just were like fun to be around you made it fun i started to fall in love with the weight room you taught me how to eat correctly right and it wasn't even like a nutrition plan you basically were just like eat more fruits eat more vegetables i remember you told me to just like eat strawberries if i was having a craving and I, that was like mind-blowing to me i never even thought about that <laughs> but it seems so obvious now um and i remember saying that do you remember yeah i remember because i was like and it's okay if you eat a carton of strawberries yeah, exactly I remember, that is so funny and um over the next two years, I lost 85 pounds. By the wow. time I graduated, I was 85 pounds lighter. And the, the, that was the like outside effect, the internal effect was, sorry. Um, it was something different. It was something else. Uh, <laughs> it's, it's, it's hard for me to talk about it. You guys can't see this, but I'm getting a little choked up right now. Uh, it just, to have someone care about you and teach you so much and just like it, it wasn't even like I, I don't know there's no words to describe it you changed my life you changed my life in a way that I will never be able to repay and that I will be eternally grateful for grateful for and the people in my, my parents you know they are also eternally grateful you're essentially a member of our family for all the things that you've done you've done for me and uh, I just, people. there's just, I don't know. I, I, I don't want to go too long on this <laughs> no. and inevitably some of it will get cut because I'm having a hard time putting You're it into words. Me, yeah. But it was just, I, I don't know, it I'm was life changing. You've successfully made me uncomfortable. That is perfect. That was the goal. And <laughs> I'm just kidding. Um, it was, it was life changing. And I, I, 
am grateful every day for our relationship, our continued relationship. You know, you've been a mentor to me. You've helped me in so many ways, and uh, there have been growing pains. There's no doubt about that. <laughs> um, you know, they say iron sharpens iron, and it, it definitely, uh, definitely, that approach has worked in a lot of ways. Definitely. That is well. First of all, thank you for saying all that. Seriously, I, I mean, it's it's like you've expressed that sentiment to me before but it's still like humbling every time I hear it um, and I guess going back to what we were talking about before I love hearing it it also I also feel like that shouldn't be the exception and one of the things that you mentioned like it's so easy to buddy up to the starting quarterback and it and it bothers the hell out of me when I see you know we've been all over the world now look you know watching and it bothers the hell out of me when I see coaches just buddy up to the person that they feel is going to give them some sort of social clout in return. Because so many people are just extensions of their high school selves, unfortunately. <laughs> and that's not – listen, and I also – like, I wouldn't be in this business doing this work if I wasn't fully on board with all coaches. I think if you get into the business, some part of you is genuinely good and you want to help. And that's why we want to be in this space. Um, but we're also in this space because it doesn't always go like you just, you know, there's not everyone has those stories. Some, a lot of people have stories that are way different than that. And that's a shame. Mm-hmm. Um, but there's reason to be optimistic anyway. Right. And I, I think it's interesting and it uh, reminds me of something that, that you say a lot and we've shared it on social media. The idea that like sports don't make you a better person. Right. You know, I didn't make those change. I had played football for seven eight years before I had even met you at that point right it didn't make me a better person I and I had good coaches that's not mm-hmm. it's not denigrating anything that they did or their coaching ability but it, it was what, what's the term that you use again I don't want to fudge it the idea and people sometimes are right. su- surprised when they hear me say stuff like this is that sports do not teach life lessons that's a thing right. that's a cliche that's thrown around incorrectly Sports don't teach life lessons. Well-intended teachers and coaches use sports as a platform to teach life lessons. Right. That's, there's nothing more clear to me than that, right? No one is becoming a better person through football. But football serves as an incredible platform for people, for coaches to instill life lessons in people. Um, Same thing with strength and conditioning, basketball, soccer anything there's something so unique about the platform through the lens of cognitive neuroscience and social theory which is stuff we'll get into in later podcasts there's just nothing like it right no one is as motivated to go to biology class if so it's one in a hundred right people show up to basketball practice say and something deliberate has to occur at basketball practice for it to serve the educational function that has a potential of serving it doesn't happen automatically right Mm -hmm. and I got to say something um, we quote the Stoics, this, is, this may sound lame, but we quote Emerson in the weight room sometimes. He's a, he's a big one for us. Um, and you mentioned the iron sharpens iron thing and there have been some growing pains. This is not, you know, we start something called the Good Athlete Project. And I want to be very clear that it is not a squeaky clean operation. Um, there's an Emerson quote that goes, truth is handsomer than the affectation of love. Your good must have some edge to it, else it is none. And that is something I read, I can't tell you how many years ago, and it's just stuck with me because it's like, you know, being just straight up nice isn't as nice as you think it is, right? Nice feels good in the moment, and there's plenty of time and opportunity for that. 
but nice isn't lasting unless it's authentic. And, and authenticity, truth, comes with some stuff that's hard to hear sometimes. You know what I mean? There's no growth without a little bit of pain. That's just how it is. Mm-hmm. And it's developing a, a positive relationship to that growing type of pain that like yields big time results. Because if you can get through that with the right mentality, if you can say like, I'm going through this tough stuff because, and I'm growing from it, I mean, the sky's the limit. Tell us a little more about the beginning of the Good Athlete Project. Where did the idea come from? What were some of the first steps that you took? Yeah, so um, I was, you know, my next, like we mentioned before, like I'm always like, what's the next step? What's the next step? And and if something interests me, I go for it. So actually when I was playing football overseas, I, um, I got into poetry. I got into writing. I was writing a lot. And um, sometimes that throws people. <laughs> You know, you I know, would say it does yeah. more well, often than and not. You know what? And I'm so lucky. I'm so lucky. That my parents are so supportive. They're amazing people. But honestly, I think I think I have to say that out loud more often. Like I'm into poetry because it took someone who was playing middle linebacker, at, you know, getting money to play middle linebacker, to say it's not soft to like poetry mm-hmm. for that to start to be okay. Otherwise, there's this like made up divide. It's it's just fun. I like it. So. I was coaching, trying to build that program at Nutrier, coaching football, uh, and I was working on a degree in creative writing at Northwestern, which is just down the, down the block. Um, through that, I started to get really interested into, in neuroscience. From that, cognitive neuroscience and a host of things you know, thereafter. Until I got to the place where like, I didn't know, I, I was no longer aware of what it was that I didn't know. I got so deep into that, that literature that I was like, you know, what are the essential readings that I've missed? And if I want to get better, I've got to go, I probably have to go get educated by someone who knows what the heck's going on. So I threw my resume in, my application into Harvard, ended up getting into a master's program in human development and psychology. While I was there, I was really interested in uh, and focused on cognitive neuroscience. And that's where the Good Athlete Project was born, essentially. It was like all this stuff I had experienced and knew firsthand was becoming validated by research. And what I mean by that is like, holy cow, if you could strip the, whatever stigma sports and athletics has from it, if you could just get rid of the fact that it's fun and that people like to do it and, and that sometimes it goes wrong, there's all these issues in sports, especially at the professional level, then what you've got through the, like I said, through the lens of cognitive neuroscience and social theory is this incredibly receptive brain state, inc- incredibly receptive learning environment that should be taken advantage of. So like um, consistent novelty, tons of cooperation, probably some exercise induced neural enhancement, which I won't go fully into now, but trust me, it, it's positive stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, a very clear leader and motivator, getting you to do things that you wouldn't normally do. Um, I mean, all these things lend themselves to really incredible learning if it's done correctly. So that's where the thing was born. And, I, it, you know, and knowing that, combined with the fact that I'd seen firsthand it done well and it done poorly, um, made me believe that there was an opportunity here. So it was just in, like, a library at, at, um, at Harvard where this thing just started appearing in my notebook. That was first term. Second term, I took a an independent study with um, a professor and advisor to the project, Rick, Rick Weisbord, um, 
and we just started to flesh the thing out and compare it to other programs. We did a cons you know we're always involved in a landscape analysis of character development in sports to see what's working, what's not. Backing it with research. In fact, I was just out at a character lab summit, um, which is Angela Duckworth's um, runs the character lab out at Penn. You know, we're backing all our methods through research, referring to our advisors whenever we get stuck, um, trying to build something really cool. So. That's like kind of how it started. It was just this uh, this idea that this kept snowballing. Now, what we've got now is, um, you know, the Good Athlete Project. By a project by nature is big. It's not like we have a product. We don't have like a shoe that's going to make you jump higher. It's not the Good Athlete shoe. Mm -hmm. You know, the Good Athlete Project does a number of things. We're interested in, uh, obviously, like I said, the research. We're interested in outreach and we're interested in leadership development. Those are the three core areas, and we have four core ways of interacting with the population. Those are workshop professional development, presentation, and in-depth consultation. The consultation, we only have about four or five partners at a time because it really does take a lot of time. Mm -hmm. um, Can you give us a little more of an idea just very quickly of, of those other things, what they look like? Yeah, so okay, so a workshop is, we can do a one-day or a two-day workshop. Um, it's called a character by design workshop. And essentially what we do is we go into a site without assuming much and say, what do you want? Mm -hmm. We ask students and what we get regularly is wide eyes because no one's ever asked us that before is what people will say. No, You go into a population, no one's ever asked them what they wanted and built for that. It's always here's what you should do and here's why. So we go in and ask people what they want and then we help de develop and build um, an actionable step-by-step -step process of getting there that is fully derived from their desires and their needs. Now. From our perspective, we want to make sure that it that the the team, the entity, the the group that we're working with maintains a strong moral identity, um, that we do things you know the right way. Mm -hmm. You know, wanting to win an, a championship does not include slashing the tires of your opponents, you know, like <laughs> stuff like that. Right. You know, so we guide people through this process, but ultimately we get to these actual behaviors uh, that people pick up and use. Professional development that's number two. It happens in much the same way, mm -hmm. um, but we work with uh, team, excuse me, uh, groups of coaches and. Uh, to, to essentially figure out the same thing. What has been working on your campus and what hasn't been working? Uh, what are your goals? Let's make sure we meet them and going back to this idea, which is just to, be, to make sure that your behavior matches your goal. Presentation is usually on a bigger scale. Um, sometimes it's been as, you know, we've had groups as small as five people and, and groups as big as like three, 350, and we've got some even bigger presentations coming up this year, which is great. Um, but that's usually to get the ball rolling. Right, that's to plant the seed and start a ripple effect from there. We hope in, oftentimes that the presentation will, will lead to one of those other things like a workshop. And the fourth one is the consultation. And the consultation will just work alongside a group and help them troubleshoot their issues for an extended period of time. One of the first people that we worked with was, you know, we just got back from Haiti actually. A friend mm -hmm. of mine uh, that I met in grad school, Dave, is the director of Basketball to Uplift the Youth of Haiti. Um, they do an incredible job. They've just, Dave has welcomed people into his space using basketball, uh, has a great group of coaches around these kids, and they teach for other things while in that space. It's like exactly what we're interested in. That's why we were so eager to get involved with Dave and his organization because, you know, we, we go down to their awards banquet every year. Um, at their awards banquet, Dave is giving, I mean, they give the Michael Jordan Award, they give mm -hmm. like the MVP, they do that stuff, but then the other awards are, that you know, they're really putting their money where their mouth is. The other awards are intellectual contribution, community outreach, stuff like that, and 
they just do it the right way. That's why we're pumped Absolutely, to be yeah. um, part of it. And this, you know, this last trip, we, you know, we'll help in any way we can. So, one thing that that Dave noted was that his kids needed shoes. Mm-hmm. You know, um, so we brought eighty pairs of shoes down for them. Um, they seemed pretty pumped to have them. Definitely. We brought a bunch of T-shirts. We brought. Um, we're wearing these bands right now. Gaddafi Project bands translated into Haitian Creole. Poye Bonatlet. Um, that was fantastic. By you like that? That was good. Well, I know about three words. Those were the three. <laughs> uh, um, and oh, and then we and we scholarship the Intellectual Contribution Award, which is something I'm really happy that we were able to do. So yeah. you know the students, the student athletes that Dave and his and his coaches determined were worthy of this um, Intellectual Contribution Award. We have supplemented that award with a year's worth of classes. Um, in, in a field they're choosing English or trade or whatever it m- might be. So just trying to work alongside the, you know, supplement the really good work that they're doing in whatever way we can. If somebody was interested in hiring the Good Athlete Project for one of the things that you just mentioned or just wanted to know more, yeah. how would they reach out? What's the best way? Uh, well, first, I, I just got to note this. Hiring, it, we're a nonprofit organization. Right. So um, we, we will essentially, we'll help anyone we think we can. Um, and whatever money comes in is a donation to the project. Right. So, and that's how it's worked in the past. We will go into a school for in exchange for a donation to the project and do any number of those things. Um, the best way to get in contact with us, we're very active on social media. It's at Coach for Kindness. It's Coach the number four kindness um, on Twitter and Instagram. Good Athlete Project at Gmail is the email that we use most, uh, and GoodAthleteProject.com is our website. Um, yeah, we are we're we will happily run workshops, professional developments, and presentations happily for pretty much anyone who reaches out. Uh, the consultation is a little more in depth, and we have to be choosier because we don't have to. As you know, right. it's time intensive, but of um, we at least want to have the conversation. Yeah, and uh, the other, the last thing is, we're going to be talking to a lot of great coaches, great people in the field on this podcast. So, subscribe to the podcast, uh, check back regularly. Uh, I, I'm excited about the people we have lined up already, and I think it's just going to keep getting better. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, totally. Uh, Subs- download and subscribe. Uh, we, we are new to this podcast game, um, and we are bringing on advertisers eventually. Those advertisers, again, everything, when I say advertisement, those people are contributing to the project, um, uh, not anything but that. Right. Uh, but the only way we track that, can track that, I believe, is through downloads and subscriptions and stuff like that. So please do. We'll have a lot of uh, interesting information to share. Well, thanks for sitting down. Appreciate Happy it. To Happy to. Thank you. Today's episode was brought to you by Hand Armor Chalk, the official chalk of USA Weightlifting. You can find them at Hand Armor Chalk or at Team Hand Armor on Twitter and Instagram. For more on the Good Athlete Project, go to goodathleteproject.com or follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Coach Number Four Kindness. That's Coach for Kindness. And keep an eye out for our next episode.